0: following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's word is a real blessing to you. Second Timothy 2, appreciate your singing this morning and, and uh, praise the Lord for the rich truth in uh, those songs. And I uh, hope your heart's encouraged. Well, today, uh, today we're going to do something very unusual for a Sunday morning, all right? And that is that uh, I'm going to preach a topical message. So don't do that very much, where we, uh, where we uh, just move around and, and look at various passages. Uh, but that's the plan for today, so uh, a little a different experience. Hey, it's good. It's good once in a while to uh, change it up, and, and uh, today... Uh, Today, we're not going to spend as much time as we do when we've been working our way through Romans, uh, really uh, dealing with the details of the text, but more going to spend a lot of time on application today. And so today, what I want to do is I want to preach a message called Building a Culture of Intergenerational Discipleship. Now, some of you have heard me go through this material before. Uh, I uh, went through this in Sunday school early on after I got here, but that's been a while. And uh, you probably don't remember that if you were here, and a lot of you weren't here. And then I went through this again in a breakout session at the Mentor um, Retreat at Ironwood, I think in 2020. So uh, some of you have heard this before, uh, but, but I'm really passionate about this subject. And, um, and I believe in the impact it can make because, because this is an issue that has had a major impact on my life. But, but I didn't really... Get this, it didn't come together for me until I was a youth pastor. So there's a story uh, behind what we're going to talk about today. Um, I grew up in a little church. I grew up in a little church, of rural church. Uh, we varied from 30 to 50 people throughout my childhood. And so we did not have a program like Awana. And uh, we had a youth group, but it wasn't very big. And so from the time I was small... I had to talk with adults when I came to church, and they had to talk with me, because there weren't that many options. And so I spent a lot of time around grownups when I was a kid, and um, and then I and they made they made a massive impact on my life. But, but I didn't appreciate the impact that they were making on my life until I became a youth pastor in a church of around seven hundred people and. We also had a Christian school, and so almost all the kids in my youth group, they spent six days a week together between church and school, and, uh, and they hardly interacted with a large percentage of our church. So they were together all the time, and, and you know, if you, you saw them after church, they just kind of huddled together, and, and they weren't alone. You know, you, you look around after church, there'd be a huddle of young marrieds and a huddle of young adults huddle of middle-aged people, a huddle of parents, a huddle of senior citizens. And that's just kind of how it went. And, and that's just how it is. I mean, the, the larger a church gets, the more it naturally segregates that. Segregates. And, and as I saw that happen with our kids and started to reflect on my life and my growth as a Christian, it, it began to dawn on me how much I had been impacted. By, by that intergenerational strength that we had in a small church. And, um, and, and I began to recognize just how powerful of an influence those intergenerational relationships are. And so I want to challenge us to push back against that drift, to segregate, to, to just pocket up with people who are just like us and to make sure that we are a church of strong intergenerational discipleship. And I felt, felt like with Awana and youth Group starting up this week, it was a good time uh, to think about this issue, but, but not just that, just our broader vision, our, our broader philosophy of discipleship, and, and how it is that children and teen ministries fit within that. And it's important. It's really important that, that everyone that works in those ministries gets these things And and that if you have kids and teens that are participating in those ministries, that that you grasp these things as well. And so what are we trying to do, and how are we going to get there? But, But of course, what we're going to talk about today affects every level of our ministry, not just children and teen ministries. After all, the Great Commission, Jesus' last words before he went to heaven, include one command, make disciples. So discipleship is at the center of who we are as a church. It is our greatest task. And of course, it's also essential to our future. I remember hearing a preacher say in college chapel one time that the church is always one generation from extinction. One generation from extinction. If we don't reproduce ourselves, if we don't train up people behind us, the church will die, so the need is urgent and it is great. So, so how is it that we can effectively disciple the next generation? Of course, there's several important factors that weigh into this. We're, today, we're not going to deal with every one of those, but I believe that intergenerational impact is a massive piece of the puzzle. So, so let's begin by grounding all this in Scripture and talking about our responsibilities. And so. The first responsibility that we have, biblical responsibility, is that we must disciple the next generation. So Second 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is a familiar verse. And God says to us there, well, Paul says to Timothy specifically, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, of course, this verse is primarily geared towards pastors training the next generation of pastors. But there's a principle here, there's a pattern here that applies across the board in the church. And notice that, that Paul mentions four generations at work. Paul had discipled Timothy. And now Timothy was responsible to disciple another generation of faithful pastors and to disciple them to the extent that they themselves would be ready to train others also. So folks, God is defining for us a vital chain for the health and perpetuation of the church. And He's telling us that we have to do much better than just keeping the kids in line. Making sure they grow up calling themselves Christians. No. We want to see them embrace the faith to the extent that they are not just committed to it, but that they are ready and gifted and convictional about making disciples behind them. When our passion should be that that our kids, the next generation of our church, is stronger, healthier, more effective than we are. Because again, the church is always one generation from extinction. And humanly speaking, the perpetuation of the church depends on the fact that, that we genuinely reach the next generation for Christ. And that we build into them biblical convictions and the gifts and the abilities to, to reach the next generation themselves. So there is nothing more important that we do as a church than discipleship. It's essential. But, but if your first response is, well, that's really good. I hope you do that, Pastor. And I hope the, the really talented people in our church get on that. Then you need to consider our second responsibility, which is, that we must all engage in the process. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is another familiar passage, and you've heard me talk about this before, but so crucial. So crucial. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. The Apostle Paul says, Ephesians 4 verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love." Now, now, here in this, these verses, Paul defines a three-step process to, to the health of the church. So, so first of all, at the first verse 11 says that God gives the church gifted leaders. And, and, and for us in particular, our focus would be on the last one there of pastors and teachers. But of course, Paul doesn't say that then that God gives pastors and teachers to the church so that they can do all the teaching and so that they can meet every need. No. One of my fundamental jobs as a pastor and of our jobs is that we would equip the saints for the work of service. So that's the second step. That we want to disciple others and equip them and employ them to do the work of the ministry. So my job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to send out an army of ministers, to multiply ministers, So so the idea here, really, I mean, if you look at this in the context of the New Testament, is that every believer, every member of the ministry, every child of Christ, every member of the church is to be engaged in this process of, of, of discipleship and ministry. And then the third step is, is that as everyone is involved, we get to verses 12 through 16, which really lay out beautifully what it is when a church is healthy and mature. If you want to know what a healthy church is, I mean, Paul tells you right here in verses 12 through 16, it has strong convictions The people know the word. They, they, they know what the Bible teaches. They, they, they are stable in their faith and in their Christian practice. They, they lovingly invest in other people and they support each other in the Christian life. Hey Folks, these verses lay out a beautiful picture of what the local church should be. So how do we get there? How can we be the church of verses 12 through 16? Well, the answer is through an army of Spirit-filled disciple-makers who are passing along the faith that they have received. So so I like to emphasize that that, that the power behind our ministry is is spirit-filled Christians. It's spirit-filled Christians that do the work. So so I'm thankful for good programs. I'm thankful for a program like Awana. I'm thankful for the structures that we have in place to run all sorts of other ministries in our church. We need to be organized. We we need structures, right? But, But we always have to remember that the Awana program will not make a disciple. Spirit-filled believers using the scriptures are what make disciples. And the same is true for every ministry. Now, it's not the program, it's not the calendar, it's not the activity that makes a disciple. It is someone who knows Jesus, who lives Jesus, and who is committed to the scriptures that makes a disciple of someone else. So it's your convictions, it's your love, and it is your biblical instruction that will change a life. So, if you work in a children or teen ministry, or any other ministry, I hope that you don't just see yourself as a cog in a machine. You are the machine. You are the machine. You are the one that God uses to get us to verses 13 through 16. And again, I want to emphasize that every member is responsible to do that. So, so turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Simple verse, all right? That but but such a good picture of what we do as a church. 1 Corinthians 12. And I want to read verse 7. And of course, this verse comes in the context of a broader discussion and and that uh Flavors how we understand it. So, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12:7, to each one. And in context, that means every believer that is spirit baptized. That means every Christian. If you are saved, this verse applies to you. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, a manifestation of the Spirit in context is a spiritual gift, a role that, that God designed you to fulfill. And why did he give you that? He says, for the common good, which in 1 Corinthians 12 is the edification, the growth of the body. And so if you are saved, God gave you a stewardship to fulfill in this process of building up the body, of us getting to the point of Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16. And if you're not using that to, to contribute to the edification of the body and, and, and you're, unless you're providentially stopped from doing so, then there's a very real sense in which you are failing the church because God designed you to help us reach maturity. There's a, there's a, there's a role that you play and, and we all need to work together to, to fulfill those roles. So, so edification is And and discipleship is not just the role of a few really special people. It is all of our responsibility. And then the third responsibility we have is that we must build a culture of intergenerational discipleship. So so turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. This is another familiar passage. This is probably the most specific place in the New Testament that speaks about this intergenerational aspect of discipleship. So uh, Titus chapter 2. And I want to read verses 1 through 5. Titus 2 verse 1. says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's a really important passage. In fact, when Heidi when, um, when and I first visited LifePoint now almost eight and a half years ago, it's crazy how time flies by. But when we visited, one of the things I was looking for was, was gray hair. Because, because a lot of younger churches just consist of young people, and, and young people are great. They're exciting. They're the future of the church, but they're not exactly stable and mature. And, and so what Paul is saying here is that the church I mean, a church needs older saints. They're essential to the health of the church. They're essential to discipleship. And so Paul assumes here that, that a healthy church has a healthy mix of every generation. And by the way, I think that's always been a strength of our church, is that we're not just a church of old people, and we're not just a church of young people. I mean, we're a church with a healthy mix of every age, and that is a wonderful thing that is not true in a lot of places. And so Paul here assumes that healthy mix when he says that older men are responsible to set a pattern For young men. The young men should be able to look at the lives of the older men in the church and see what it is to be a godly man. And then he also, he specifically challenges older women to actively mentor the younger women. To teach them how to be godly and how to do the things that God has called them to do. So so Paul clearly envisions a healthy mixture where, where the generations of the church are living together. They are significantly involved in each other's lives. They don't just see each other across the way on Sunday morning and know their names. Because you don't do these things just seeing each other, you know, kind of like waving as you drive past each other. No, there is significant involvement in each other's lives that leads to this sort of discipleship. I like how Dr. Ola, the president of Northland where I went to college, used to say, he said that every Christian, he would say every Christian needs to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in your life. And what he meant by that is is that every Christian needs a mentor. You need a Paul in your life, someone that you look up to and someone that that, that gives you a pattern of how to live the Christian life. You You need a Barnabas, you need a peer. You know, Paul and Barnabas traveled together and they supported each other, so every Christian needs a good peer. And every Christian also needs a Timothy in his life. Someone that you are trying to mentor, someone that you are trying to encourage to follow behind you. And that is so important that, that we think that way and we push that way because we all naturally gravitate towards people just like us. I mean, just take a look at the normal conversation circles after church on a Sunday morning. Usually there's a circle of old people, circle of young people, the kids are off doing their thing, and we all just naturally gravitate towards people who are like us. Now, now, we need peer relationships, right? It's, it's a blessing. You know, if, you know, if you're a, a young mom and you just were up all night with a baby to, to have a friend who's there as well, all right? Or, or all sorts of other things like that. You know, you, can, you know, peers can understand each other and sympathize with each other in a unique way. And there's a rest there. But you need Pauls in your life. You need mentors who are pushing you to, to be something better. And if you're a Christian, you need a Timothy in your life. At least one, someone that you are trying to raise up behind you. So so what we see here is that the church is to be a place where children and teens are constantly learning from mature believers. And where young adults are constantly learning from those who are older. And Paul teaches that the church should be a place of intergenerational discipleship. And I think it's, it's important to say that children and teen ministries can be a great avenue for that sort of, of relationship and discipleship, if we keep the right focus. So parents, when you drop off your kids on Wednesday, don't think of it just as you know, free babysitting so you can go do your thing. You know, and don't think of it as just you're putting your kids in a kids program. No. I mean, when we bring our kids to those programs, we, we should think of it as, a, in a sense, that, that we are partnering with the workers in that ministry for the discipleship of our kids. We are working with them to raise our kids to know the Lord. And, and, and that is a great gift. It's a great gift to have those partners. And I hope, parents, that you are excited about the opportunity to partner with, with the people who work in our children and teen ministries for the good of your child. Because, I mean, you might be an awesome parent. You might have everything figured out. But your children can never have too many godly examples in their life. And they make a huge impact. I mean, When I think of this whole subject, I, I, my mind immediately goes to an older ma- a man in our church growing up. His name is Carol Graves. And Carol, Carol just turned 90. And uh, he's still very active. He's the most active 90-year-old I've ever been around. And, uh, and Carol... He was a farmer in our little town, and Carol practically started our church. And um, I was in Methodist Church, became disappointed in the, in the lack of convictions, the compromise, and so he got connected with some Baptists and started our church. And, and Mr. Graves, man, I mean, he is all in on everything. He's a high-energy guy. He works hard. Uh, he was involved in every aspect of our church, loved the church, loved people. And uh, when I was probably upper elementary into junior high, every week throughout the summer, he would pick me up and pick up our lawnmower, and we would go up and mow the churchyard together. And, uh, and he made it fun. I mean, we had a great time mowing the grass. And, uh, and he would ask me questions about my life, and we would talk and, and enjoy ourselves. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't like formally disciple me. We didn't go through any sort of curriculum or do any sort of study together and He wasn't even necessarily asking me super spiritual questions. But but every day that I spent with Carol Graves, I saw a man who loved the Lord, who loved the church. And he showed me what it is to love the church and to invest in ministry. And he showed me, and he gave me a taste, a a desire to do that. Through, Through just spending time with me, investing in me, and so his passion and his commitment made a profound impact on me. And I could give all sorts of other examples as well. Now I, I'm so thankful that I got to rub shoulders with a lot of godly adults as a kid who, who reinforced and complemented what I was learning at home. And so I got to see their commitment to Christ, their work ethic, You know, that my parents weren't loony, that there were other people like them and sometimes better than them in certain areas, that, that helped me grow in Christ, and it had a profound impact. So parents, do not be so insecure as to think that no one else can add anything to what you are doing in your kid's life. I mean, your kids need as many godly examples and mentors as possible. You know, I, I love it when I see people in our church interacting with my kids. I love it when, when my kids are being foolish and someone lovingly comes along and says, stop being a fool. Because our kids need as many godly examples as possible. It is a wonderful gift. And so don't see it as a threat. See it as a wonderful blessing. So, so I hope that we all agree, all right, that, that intergenerational discipleship is a good and biblical goal. But the question is, well, well why don't we do it better? I think it's helpful to, to think about some roadblocks to doing this well. So, first of all, why, why don't we do this well? Well, I think just frankly we need to recognize that so often we are too busy with priorities of no eternal consequence. This week I was listening to a podcast by three pastors. They're, they're all a little bit older than me, and, but, but all still very much involved in parenting. And one of them made a comment that really struck me and surprised me, and, and he said that that, that our generation of parents is much more busy with our children's lives than, than any previous generation. I had never really thought about that. And he didn't necessarily say it was a bad or a good thing, all right? But, but he observed that, that parents today, we, we face so much pressure to, to do everything for your kids and to give them every incredible experience possible. And so, so many parents are running all over the place doing all sorts of things, and we're busy, we're exhausted. Now, of course, it's a good thing to be highly invested in your kids. But but is your family so busy with stuff that it is compromising your time and energy for spiritual investment? And are you always so tired and distracted that even when you are with the church, there's no drive for meaningful investment? Now, I'm preaching to myself here. I mean, I mean, Heidi and I, we like to be busy. We we don't like to sit around. And our family keeps a busy schedule. And the right busy is good. It's not good to be lazy. But make sure that your busyness is intentional and that you maintain the right priorities. In particular, make sure that you are prioritizing intentional investment in the Great Commission. Because that's why you're here. That's why you're here. So you, you don't invest in the Great Commission based on the leftovers. It gets the first piece. And then a second roadblock is, is that intergenerational relationships can be awkward and frustrating. You know, again, if we have the option, most people naturally gravitate towards people who are like them. You know, there's big ge- differences between the generations. I mean, we all know this. It's easier to talk to someone who is your age than someone who is 40 years older or younger. Because we're just different and we're in different life stages. I think, you know, older people can just easily be annoyed by the noise and the busyness of little kids because you don't live with it every day. And it can be intimidating for younger people to bring their kids into the home of a senior citizen or other things like that. I could go on and on, but but I think we all understand that that cultivating intergenerational relationships is challenging. But folks, it is absolutely worth the effort. I think another roadblock is that as churches grow, they naturally segregate. In fact, a lot of churches use segregation as as a growth model. So as soon as you go to church, they're trying to kind of pair you off with people who are just like you because, because that's where you're going to be comfortable and that's where you're going to be at ease. And so, and so you know, everything is built on kind of segregating people into groups of people who are just like them. You know, they basically resign themselves to the fact that, that significant intergenerational contact is just not going to happen in a meaningful sense. But, but even without any sort of push, the more a church grows, the more it naturally segregates. You know, again, I saw that very clearly going from a church of 40 people to a church of 700. And if you've been at life point since the beginning, you've probably seen it happen to some extent here. You know that when there were only 50 people, 70 people, well, you all just talk. But now you've got options. You don't have to talk to Dave. You can go talk to Judy. And so you do that. And so, and so we just need to recognize that. And, uh, and we need to work against it. I think another roadblock is, is that as churches grow, people lose ownership. And ministry becomes mechanical and programmatic. You know, When I was in my little church of 40 people, if we had a potluck, everyone cleaned up after the potluck. Because if we didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done, and the church was going to be a mess when we came back next Sunday. So you had to jump in. You know, then, you know, I mean, I love, I love Intercity where I was at before, but, but then I went to this church of 700 people and we had, we had a pretty big staff. And the bigger a church gets, the more you have to be organized and put together teams and so forth. And it's so different, you know, going to a potluck there because, well, there's all these paid people and there's a staff to get everything done. And so people just kind of stand around and watch stuff happen, they don't take ownership of seeing it get done. And what so often happens is that we become consumers in the church. Rather than owners in the church. Like, this is someone else's job. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And and folks, when we begin to think of the church as consumers instead of owners, that is a deadly virus to the church. The same can happen in any sort of ministry. You know, again, like, we have to be organized. If we didn't have any organization as a church, if we didn't have programs and structures in place, then it becomes a mess really quickly. People begin to trip over each other, get frustrated with each other, and lots of people slip through the cracks. So organization, planning, all those things are really valuable. But I think it's important to just recognize that they naturally make people mechanical. They stop thinking outside the program. They stop taking personal initiative. And and they only think in terms of, of a job or a task. And it's tragic. It's tragic. You know, because we turn into like, you know, like you think of a mule that spent its whole life walking in circles on a grindstone. And you could, you could free that mule, but all he knows how to do is walk in circles. He's been programmed to do, just do one thing and do it over and over. And that is not how we want to be as a church. So don't become mechanical and programmatic in your ministry vision. You know, I, think, I think that's been one of our strengths as a church, is people taking initiative. And I noticed that right away when I came here. You know, so for example, we have greeters. You know, because we want to make sure that someone is catching anyone that visits our church. But I've never got the sense that our church feels like it's only the greeter's job to make people welcome. It's all of our jobs to make people feel welcome. And the same could be true of, of all sorts of other things. And that is really valuable that is a special attribute of our church that we have a lot of highly invested servants. And, and it's true that, that, that most churches don't have that. So, so we always need to fight to keep that because that is essential to our health. Hey, another roadblock is, is that as churches grow, people slip through the cracks. Now, if you miss a, church, if you miss a Sunday in a church of 40 people, everyone notices and you'll probably get three phone calls because, because worship legitimately felt different without you. But if you're in a church of a thousand people, you could stop coming. And no one might notice for months. Now we notice because we take attendance every Monday. You know, in the sense, every Monday we're just looking through who was here, who wasn't here, who's missed several weeks, you know, where are their needs. And so we've got that simple structure in place to, to help us Uh, Just keep track of people and care for people well. Uh, We have deacon care groups to to tighten up uh, some of the cracks some more and to provide you with further help. And those structures are important. but, But folks, they will never be foolproof. They certainly can't replace church members who are committed to meaningful relationships, meaningful discipleship, and who take initiative. So, I'd encourage you. You know, do you ever... Here on, you sit here on Sunday morning with ministry vision? Do you ever think, you know, who haven't I seen in a while? Or, or who's kind of hanging out on the fringes of the church that, that I could help draw in, or, or that I could help grow or mature? you ever look around and think, man, who looks like they've got a thousand-pound burden on their back? And you don't need to be a deacon. You certainly don't need my permission to give someone a call or to reach out. Go after them. And if we're going to err, let's err on the side of overwhelming people with love and annoying them with love as opposed to, to not giving them enough. So we need to love people well. So, so in some intergenerational, intergenerational, that's a hard word to say. i got to pick a different one. Intergenerational discipleship faces roadblocks. But, but none of them are insurmountable if we have the vision to fight them. So, so where do we go from here? I'd like to just give you and and give all of us some challenges today. And I've got a lot of things to say here and only a few bullet points. So do your best to follow. Take what applies to you. First of all, I want to challenge you to take ownership of our culture. Take ownership of our culture. I imagine that at least some of you are sitting there as I've I've talked about this and, and there's discontentment in your soul. Like, I need help. I need someone to love me, but nobody notices. Or, maybe you're an older saint and you think, yeah, I've got a lot of wisdom to offer, but these punk young people, they never ask me anything. <laughs> or, yeah, that's a problem. The pastors need to fix that. And if you've got concerns, you, know, you feel like you're, you are the one that's slipping through the cracks, those sorts of things... Then I would love to talk with you, and and we want to hear those things and, and, and we want to be available for that. But I would fundamentally encourage you, urge you to take ownership for your own soul, for your own ministry, and for the culture and health of our church. So if you have needs and no one's meeting them, you know, don't complain and moan that they're not being met. Go after people, build relationships, ask for help. If you want to make an impact, don't wait for people to to just fall at your knees and praise you for your wisdom. Build relationships. You know, effective disciple makers do not wait for discipleship to come to them. They go find it. They chase people, they pursue them, and they make a difference. And if you're discontent, if there's something that's frustrating you about our church, you know, then, then be a part of the solution. We have problems. We, have pro- we are a church of sinners, and there are things that we do not do as well as we should. And if you recognize that, you've got one of two choices. You can gripe about it and be discontent, or you can be part of helping us get better. I hope you'll choose the latter. So, so, so take ownership. Love this church. Be excited about what God wants to do here, and get involved in seeing us accomplish this, these goals. Second challenge, just simply pursue intergenerational relationships. And I want you to think very specifically. I'm going to give you a few specific ideas here about how you can do this. And, and of course, there's plenty of other things. Right? You know, let kind of think of this as brainstorming, so to speak. But the first thing I challenge you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to memorize the church directory this week. Not all the addresses, but I want you to go home and I want you to memorize the church directory. And if you have not yet put your picture in there or signed up for the directory, then you need to do that too so that other people know who you are. Now, you might think, Pastor, you're nuts. Memorize the church directory. I can't do that. That's a lot of work. But how often have you sort of like snuck past someone or just kind of awkwardly said hi because you don't know who someone is or because you don't know their name? We are all much more confident And assertive in relationships when we know who people are. Like that kid who's being a booger on the playground. You're not just like, well, there's some kid out there, but like that's Pastor Kit's kid. (laughs) That's James or or Isaac. So so memorize the directory, get to know people. I think that's especially important with kids, you know, because 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 we tend to keep the adults straight, but but oftentimes we we really struggle with knowing, you know, who are people's kids, and you know they've got four kids and. They all kind of look the same, and so, yeah, you know, the the Johnson kids, or the Ains kids, or... Get to know each one as an individual, because the kids of our church are our greatest stewardship. And you need to get to know them and invest in them. And learning their names is a great place to start. As well, I want to urge you to consciously resist your comfort zone. If you're going to build these relationships, you've got to resist what is comfortable. So make a choice to sit in a new spot or to talk. I mean, that's stepping on some toes, all right? (laughs) But sit somewhere different. And after church, you know, after church, don't just walk up to the same four people and talk to them that you do every week about the same thing. Find someone new and talk to them. Stand in a different spot. There's all sorts of just simple things you can do. Put yourself in the way of of Pauls and Timothys who can make an impact in your life and that you can impact yourself. Now, some of you are introverts, and you think, all of this is way out of my league. Pastor, I don't like people. And I I understand. I'm an introvert. If I were not a Christian, I would still be on the farm. I would sit on the tractor all day long and be very happy. But by the grace of God, God in His grace has given me a love for people, and I think by His grace built my ability to relate to them. And you can do that too. So so resist your comfort zone, go after people. Now, another just simple thing you can do is serve in a ministry, because ministry is a great way to get to know people. You, You get to know the people that you serve alongside, and you get to know the people that you serve. We have so many needs, so many things that, that need to be done around here. And, and so if you have a time, or even if you don't have time, make time. Talk to us about how you can serve in the church. You know there are just very simple things you can do: is come early, come often and stay late. You know Sunday morning worship is an important, in fact, I would say, an essential expression of our fellowship as a church. We sit in this room. As, as God's assembled people of God, and we worship Him together. We raise our voice together to Christ. But this is not where you build deep relationships. It's not. And so if the only time you're here, you get here at 9.59 and you leave promptly at 11.25, you are never going to have deep relationships and you're not going to make an impact in people's lives. Because you're all just sitting there looking at me. And so you need to find other ways to build relationships. And and so do that. If you want to have people impact you and you want to impact them, make it a priority to to come to other events, to come early, to stay late. Seek people out. Now, I always tell people, if you want to really get to know the core of our church, come Sunday night. Because Sunday night is when most of our core people are here and you can rub shoulders with, with the people that really really make this place go above all else. So come Sunday night. Come to picnics. Come to activities. You'll know, get to know people playing kickball or you know throwing a, a cornhole. Whatever. You know, Cornball, whatever it is. And, and you'll get to know them in a way that you never will on Sunday morning. You know, I, I, I grew up in a small church, so, so work days were a huge part of our life as a church because we didn't have any money to pay other people to do stuff, so so when we had termites in the wall, then we all had to tear the wall out and fix it. And when we needed a new roof, we all got on the roof and tore it off. And those work days were huge because, because I spent time you know, mowing grass, cutting boards, fixing things, tearing off shingles with other men in the church. And we weren't just getting a job done. We, I was experiencing their love and I was watching these godly men and their commitment to the church. And that made an impact. So so don't just come to get stuff done. Come to meet people, to rub shoulders, and and to see God grow our fellowship. And then next, steward your relationships for impact. And that doesn't happen it doesn't happen accidentally much of the time. Sometimes it does. Now, Now I want to be clear here that small talk is not wrong, it has its place. You know, because if I ask you questions about your job or about your week or your family, then that's, that can be a great way for me to express love to you, interest in your life, and, and an opportunity to build connection with people. But, but let's never forget that we have much bigger business as a church than talking about sports and politics and weather and hobbies and whatever other thing we want to talk about. I mean, steward your relationships for spiritual impact. Because that's why we're here. Like as well, if you want to steward your relationships well, spend time with children. Do it intentionally. You know, it means so much to a child when you are interested in that child's life. It means a lot. And the kids of our church can't get too much godly love. And that godly love can turn into so much more. So I hope that we don't see kids as an irritation, but that we see them as a wonderful mission field. So spend time with kids. Use your ministry to train others. You know, it's been said that that the job of any minister is to work himself out of a job. The job of any minister is to work yourself out of the job. And so what you want to constantly be doing is not just thinking, how do I get my job done? But, but how can I raise up someone behind me to, to come in and do my job as well as I'm doing or better? You know, and and if, if everyone's thinking that way, if we're not just thinking about tasks, but thinking about discipleship, then then we — I mean we're, we'll probably always be short on ministers, you know, but, but, but we can do so much more. So, so have a vision as, as you do your ministry, not just to do it, but to think about who could I bring along? You know, who could I involve that, that would, that I, in doing so, I could open a door for impact, and maybe at some point they could take over for me. And then, one other thing you can do to steward relationships is, is to ask wise counsel, why ask wise saints for counsel. And um, you know, because because we all naturally run to people just like us. I remember when I was a youth pastor. You know, sometimes you know this huge issue comes up in a teen's life. And and what so often happens is, you know, some teen has like some massive issue, like they're seriously depressed. You know, they're doing self-harm type things. And who do, who do they go to with their with their major issues? Well, they go to another teenager. You know, and they just talk with each, with among each other and they say, "You know, keep this a secret, don't tell anyone." And and teenagers are, are so, you know, so often they're they're trying to carry each other's loads when, when they have no capacity to do that. And you know what, so often all of us are the same way. You know, so if you're a young mom and you're struggling to figure out how to do it, I mean, sure, go talk to the other young mom, but, but find someone who's done it before and talk to her. And, and so ask, there, there, I mean, there is a wealth of, of wisdom all around you in this church. So, so take advantage of it. And as well, uh, one other challenge. Is to foster intergenerational relationships for your kids. So, so, parents, I want to challenge you specifically to prioritize the children and teen ministries of our church, because we have a lot of wonderful workers in those ministries, and the staff is there to invest in your kids, right? Like they don't come work at a one on Wednesday night because they'd rather do that than sit at home and watch TV. They're here because they want to invest. So take advantage of that. Use it. You now you might think, well, you know, my kid doesn't want to go do this thing over here. You know, he's not really interested in going bowling, you know, with a youth group or, or whatever it might be over here on the other side. You know, sometimes, you know, particularly, I'd say that, you know, even if you think there's no benefit for us in being involved in this thing, just the fact that you are there, that you are behind what's going on. It just increases the overall health of the ministry. And so you're not just ministering to your own kids, you're actually contributing to the ministry to other kids. So so prioritize uh, the children and teen ministries of our church. And then as well, you know, take your kids to events that are rich in intergenerational contact. You know, when we play kickball at a picnic, when we go camping, or, you know, go on a hike at ManVenture. We're not just finding fun stuff to do. No, we are creating a context for kids to mix in a unique way with adults. And that is so valuable. So seize those opportunities. You know, I mean, if your kids... I think, you know, this would especially apply if you have teenagers. If your teenagers really struggle to interact with adults... They kind of shut down when other adults are around. Or there's a little circle of them, and you push yourself in the circle, they're like, get away, dad. Then that's not good. It's not good if our kids are not healthy with other people. You know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that by the grace of God, I've always been very comfortable relating to older people. And I think I do a decent job of doing that. And it's because I've spent my whole life around older people. I interacted with them at church and other places. So, so you know, grandma and grandpa are not the only ones. And, and so, have your kids among older people. It's reaped tremendous benefits in my life and it will in your kids too. Because, because folks, Christianity is a community religion. It is. When you get saved, the Spirit does not just baptize you into Christ. He baptizes you into the body of Christ, His church. So Christianity is fundamentally a community religion. So so if your kids are going to thrive in the church and make the impact that God has called them to make, then they need to learn how to interact with people. Relationships are who we are. So, So begin building those skills in your kids immediately. And as well, involve them in ministry. If you're going to come up to a work day or to work on a project, don't leave your kids at home playing video games. Bring them along and involve them as much as possible because they'll rub shoulders with people and they will build a healthy expectation for what it means to participate in the church. And that is so valuable. So I could go on and on. I could go on and on. But I hope, and you're glad that I'm not going to, But I hope we understand that the task of discipleship is urgent. It is urgent. We must be at work to raise up the next generation. So don't be content with where you are as a disciple of Christ. Find someone who can make a difference in your life. You don't have to go through some discipleship curriculum. You know, just get coffee with someone. Talk to them. Ask them questions. And as well, there is so much ministry that you can do among people who regularly walk through the doors of our church. And there is so much more that could be done as, as we multiply ministers. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. That's what Jesus said. He said the fields are white to harvest. So there is much to be done. We just need Workers. So God can use you to raise up a generation that far surpasses us. So The question is, is will you embrace the task? Will you catch that vision? Because just imagine what God could do if everyone in this room really embraced what we're talking about here today. Spirit-filled believers going after others for the cause of Christ and going after investment from people who can make a difference in them. It's massive. So embrace the task, and let's see what God will do. Heavenly Father, thank You for the church. Thank You that You and Your wisdom have designed uh, the church as a place where we grow, where we mature, where we change. Father, thank You for the gift that we have. Lord, thank You for uh, just all the people who do so much here in our church to minister, to to make a difference. I thank you for the godly examples we have. And so, Lord, we pray that you would raise up more, that, God, we would grow into the image of Christ, that we would be fitted together as his body more and more all the time. And, God, we pray that you would use us to disciple another generation who can teach others also. Lord, we pray for the genuine conversion of every child and teen, young adult in our church. That none of them would just simply go through the motions of Christianity, but that, Lord, your spirit would give radical new life and that, God, they would grow up with strong convictions, bold courage, and the gifts to minister well. And so, God, work in our midst. Help us to be a church of deep love and care and concern and powerful impact for the cause of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.